you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Have you ever wondered if Satan knows that he's already been defeated by Jesus? On the one hand, you would think he has to know if he's read the Bible. On the other hand, he could reject the Bible as true, right? Satan may just be delusional, still thinking he is the ultimate victor in world history. Or he may know he is doomed to defeat, so he's just going to do as much damage as possible until Jesus returns for his people. Either way, we know that Satan is still at work. Just because his defeat has been secured at the cross doesn't mean he isn't still on the prowl. It reminds me of the Battle of New Orleans that happened 18 days after the War of 1812 was officially over. News just traveled so much slower those days. Or the story of Hiru Unoda, the Japanese man who continued to wage war for 29 years after World War II was over. So maybe Satan hasn't gotten the news yet, or he's just persistent in fighting his own war against a victorious people. The more important question is, do you know that Satan is still fighting against you every day, continually waging war against your soul? Or do you tend to get lax, lazy, and distracted in your Christian walk, thinking you have this thing called life all figured out? I think Satan counts on the fact that you will forget about him. You'll get caught up in fighting battles against earthly foes and not put up a fight against him. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should be anxious or worried about Satan and his work, but you are to be vigilant and prepared to defend yourself against his schemes. This is where this series of podcasts should come in handy, to put in the forefront of your mind the ways the devil is working to confuse you and seduce you away from the truth. He would like to make you into his victim rather than the victor that you are in Jesus. So we continue today with another contrasting method that Satan uses to imitate and counteract the work of the Spirit in your life. By the way, aren't you thankful you're not alone to fight the devil on your own? You have the Holy Spirit. Well, today's contrast will be in line with this introduction, how Satan wants to make you into an eternal victim in this life, in opposition to the fact that in Christ, you are already and always will be a victor. As we'll discuss, there are many ways that we are victimized in this life, but that should not lead us to adopt a victim mentality. We'll dig down deep so that we can continue this fight even though the war has already been won. So let's meet a couple of people who are struggling with satanic confusion. There's Ellie, who's a young 30-something woman who has a difficult past. She grew up in a family with a dictatorial father and a very passive mother. Their brand of Christianity was pretty legalistic and moralistic. The discipline was harsh and unloving most of the time. 
Ellie has had difficulty with relationships throughout college and graduate school. She has dated a couple of real jerks. She finally married a man who is sweet, quiet, and extremely passive. Ellie comes to you after seeing many doctors for a wide array of physical problems. She is depressed and feels like the world is against her. Even though her husband is good to her, she finds fault with all the little things he does wrong. Ellie is just plain exhausted. And then there's Fredo. Fredo's an angry college student. All of his life, he's been a fighter, a very insecure fighter. Fredo has always felt picked on by someone, starting with his two older brothers. He seems to be left out of everything, even in his fraternity. Fredo comes to you because he wants help with his temper. But he doesn't really think you can help him. Even though he's a Christian, he tends to think God is against him most of the time. Okay, with those folks on your mind, let's start by defining and describing what it means to be a victim, and more importantly, what a victim mentality is. By dictionary definition, a victim is a person who has been harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or some other event. At one time or another, most people, if not all people, have been victimized in some way. They become harmed, they become injured, and then some have even been killed. Much of the time, we are what we call innocent victims, meaning it was not our fault, we didn't do anything wrong. In one sense, it's hard to say you're a victim if you somehow deserved it or brought it upon yourself. So at the very heart of victimhood is the belief that I've been hurt or injured or abused or treated badly by someone or some situation, and I didn't deserve it. There's typically a perpetrator and a victim. The perpetrator is the bad guy. The victim is the innocent good guy. Well, all that's pretty clear, right? Being a victim of someone's anger, violence, or even just thoughtless behavior is never fun. Again, by definition, it is hurtful and injurious. But we must also recognize that there's a broad spectrum when it comes to victimhood. Being a victim of some harsh words is relatively low on the scale compared to physical and sexual abuse. Then there's the really criminal behavior like rape, torture, murder, etc., at the same time, it's important to understand that it is all relative. Pain is pain. Hurt is hurt. So even some lesser bad behavior can truly victimize a person. So on its own, being a victim of someone or some terrible event is difficult enough to deal with. Even Christians who are severely victimized in some way can struggle to trust God again, to believe he loves them, or to enter into biblical relationships again. But the bigger problem we're dealing with in this episode is when Satan confuses the victim into adopting a victim mentality. But let's break that down into several connected principles. First, a victim mentality makes a perpetrator too big and God too small. There's no doubt that people can do remarkable evil and horribly frightening things to other people. Sadly, there seems to be no limit to how people can hurt one another. Because of that fact, it's tempting for a victim to see a perpetrator as a monster, way too strong and way too powerful to be defeated by anyone. 
again, I'm not addressing those situations like in the case of child abuse or extreme crimes that are perfectly normal to see people as huge and powerful. What I'm focusing on is the fact that any perpetrator can be thought of in this way. So while it's understandable that Ellie thought of her father as big and overpowering and dictatorial, she has wrongly taken that view into her relationships with many other people, including her jerky boyfriends. When people become too big in our lives, we give them power that they don't really have. Having a victim mentality makes them into all-powerful little gods. Do you remember when the spies went into the land of Canaan? the promised land that God just so happened to promise to give to them? When they saw the people of the land, they envisioned them as giants, as Goliaths, as monsters that could never be defeated. With those distorted lenses on, they saw themselves as small, as grasshoppers that could never defeat them. But even worse, the Israelites saw God as small, These Israelite spies could not believe that God would be the victor in their lives. So they were defeated before they even entered the land. They lost the battle before one was ever fought. In the same way, Ellie ends up short-circuiting all of her relationships very early on because she sees everyone as out to hurt her and with the power to victimize her in every way. While certainly some people may... She has made everyone much more powerful than they really are. Now, just to be abundantly clear, I am not saying that there aren't mean, strong, and dominating perpetrators of evil out there. There certainly are. And they can bring fear and terror into our lives. And they can do great damage. But the truth is that no human being is bigger or greater than God. No person is all-powerful. More importantly, no person can perpetrate any evil in your life without God allowing it and being in full control of what happens. The biblical fact of God's sovereignty ends up being rejected by the person with the victim mentality. God becomes small, impotent, or uncaring. It is no wonder that a person with a victim mentality doesn't do well in relationships, since people are always too powerful for them. Well, now here's a related principle to the first one. A victim mentality makes evil victorious over good. The entire story of the Bible, the entire story of Christianity to this point, and thereby of human history, is that good ultimately is victorious over evil. From the original sin of Adam and Eve, where it appeared that Satan and evil had won the day, God made it clear in Genesis 3.15 to begin with that the coming seed, the Messiah, would ultimately defeat Satan. All through Scripture, we read the one story of redemption of God's people by King Jesus. We have won the victory. So it makes no sense for Christians to have a victim mentality. Christians who know the Bible story and know that good always triumphs over evil. But of course, our circumstances can make us forget our biblical theology. When our eyes are preoccupied with evil, we lose faith about the good. To put it more accurately, Satan confuses the Christian, making evil seem just too overwhelmingly strong to defeat with good. Satan doesn't want us to obey Christ and love our enemies. No, that will only allow evil to win. 
That will make you a doormat. You must defeat your enemies, not love them. Fredo, our college student, believes that good always loses out to evil. Every time someone rejects him, criticizes him, or gossips about him to others, just reinforces his belief. His distrust of people is so great that he always thinks that evil will defeat any good that he tries to do. So why even try? Can we really believe Romans 12, 21 that says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good? Those with a victim mentality reject this command. When you don't believe that evil in this world will be overcome and defeated by the goodness of God, you won't even try to take on evil. This will only end up making you more passive in your faith. This will only end up making you feel defeated every time. Fredo is angry because everything out there seems so wrong. It seems like the bad guys always win and the good guys always lose. Yes, this sort of sounds like some of the expressions of David in the Psalms. But the difference is that David didn't have a victim mentality. He believed that God was bigger and that good always wins over evil. Our culture under the deception of Satan certainly promotes this wrong view. There's always a crisis that cannot be solved. There's always misery and pain. Even good guys are really bad. Or there's no difference between good and evil. It gets all so confusing. The victim mentality ultimately rejects the truth of the Bible and the course of God's history. God is the one who always gets the victory. Well, let's continue to get some more insight into the victim mentality with principle number three. A victim mentality gives the person little hope. When we know that God is bigger than all people, that good overcomes evil, then the Christian is necessarily filled with great hope in this life. But a victim mentality does the exact opposite. It refuses to look at life with any hope. It makes everything appear hopeless. Now, when someone is abused or deeply hurt in some way, the shock and trauma of the situation will suspend hope for a time. Nothing can be seen except what just happened, like a car wreck where the police are literally still picking up the pieces. But then hope comes back over time and life goes on. The person readjusts to relationships and to circumstances. Unfortunately, though, if a victim mentality takes hold by Satan's lies, then hopelessness sets in with it. Fredo's anger is fueled by hopelessness. He sees himself as beyond help. Ellie's emotional pain has become bodily pain, sending her to find solutions in the medical field. As she goes from doctor to doctor, hope only fades more. No one can solve her pain. Hopelessness is deeply passive. That should make sense, right? When there's no hope, what's the point of doing anything to achieve what you want? After all, it's often our hopes and dreams that keep us motivated to work, to strive, and to endure. Now, we can definitely understand that it's foolish to put our hope in people, especially people who have hurt us in the past. But a victim mentality keeps us from hoping in God, the one who will always do as he promises, the one who always can be counted on. In actuality, many who have succumbed to a victim mentality really want to put their hope in people. 
and actually keep trying to do so. But this only works against them since people cannot fulfill our hopes. Ellie and Fredo have plenty to be disappointed about, even in their family lives. Again, it is understandable to lose hope, but the victim will end up being hopeless if he or she continues to believe the devil's lies. And then there's this fourth principle. A victim mentality makes a person oddly powerful. Now, this item will take some explaining. It seems to go against everything else I just said. After all, aren't victims by definition powerless? How could they also be powerful? Yes, when a person is victimized, he or she is essentially powerless to do anything to stop it, and often powerless to do anything to make it right afterwards. But over time, the powerless victim actually becomes the powerful victim. Think about it this way. When you feel like a victim, you have to protect yourself from future victimization. The cry of the victim's heart is, I'm never going to let this happen again. Or, I'm never going to let another person hurt me again. So, when you are in the self-preservation mode, you have to build a wall around yourself, around your heart, around your mind, around your emotions. You have to push people away, keep your boundaries up. You have to avoid risky situations that may be unsafe. You have to do whatever it takes to ensure that you won't be victimized again because you think you are always the victim. Do you see and understand how this makes you strangely powerful? Or to put it another way, the victim spends their life figuring out how to be in control of their universe. So while the victim may appear weak, he or she is actually profoundly strong. It is this personal strength the victim becomes addicted to after feeling so weak in the beginning. This is often exposed in their angry responses, as in a guy like Fredo. Fredo keeps people away with his anger. This is the way he protects himself and feels more powerful. So when you are counseling someone who has a victim mentality or a friend who seems to think this way, your temptation will be to try to make him or her feel less weak. In other words, you may attempt to talk to him or her about being tougher or stronger. But that's the opposite of a biblical approach. To move out from under a victim mentality, one has to admit his weakness and depend on God's strength, not their own. In essence, there needs to be depowering, not empowering. More reliance on the power of God, not on our own control of things. And then how about this fifth principle? A victim mentality excuses all their behavior. This is related to our last point. When a person tries to maintain their own strength and power and control, they end up being self-righteous. This self-righteousness is put on display when a victim always feels innocent and the other guys are always in the wrong. The extreme victim mentality will never confess any wrongs. Actually, they have done everything right. Now, sometimes it's much more subtle. Ellie may communicate it this way. Sure, I know I'm not perfect either, and I do some things wrong, but he or she fill in the blank. Do you hear it? A slight nod to the fact that, yeah, I'm a sinner, but the other person is always a much worse sinner. 
So again, the person with the victim mentality always stays in control or on top. He or she is always better and the other person's always worse. What this also means is that anything the victim does is always justified. There's a built-in excuse for any bad behavior. Now, children have this victim mentality often when they cry things like, but he did it first or he hit me first. Somehow in their mind, this justifies the striking back. Now, adults with a victim mentality act in the same way. It's never their fault. Whatever they do comes from the fact that they have been victimized. It is the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. Satan loves to confuse the Christian into self-righteous justification. He loves to get us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Then we don't need the justification that is only found in Christ. And we don't think of ourselves as accountable for our own sins before God. All right, just one more principle. A victim mentality makes the person a victim for life. We have alluded to this characteristic all through these points. Describing this as a mentality reinforces the fact that it is a solidified mindset, a way of thinking about everything, a lens to see the world. As sad and tragic as it is when a child is a victim of real abuse of any kind, it's really much worse when Satan uses it to make him or her into an everlasting victim. Or if a person has been in several hard relationships, it can feel like all relationships will be bad and aren't worth entering. Again, Satan would love for the Christian to be stuck in self-pity, in depression, in social anxiety, in control of his or her world. It doesn't make sense that a Christian would not know that he or she is truly a victor and never a victim. But again, when we're in the midst of the struggle and the suffering, we can often become confused by Satan. Yes, a victim mentality is truly hard to shake. Many people will need biblical counseling to even recognize this thought process in the first place. The Holy Spirit needs to give us the strength to break these habits of the heart and renew our minds. Sadly, some with a victim mentality actively work on holding on to it as it becomes their identity. As we've talked about in other podcasts, any sin habit that is identity forming can last a lifetime. So the earlier we understand our own victim mentality, the better. As Christians, we need to truly rest in the fact that we are victors in Christ. Well, it's one thing to know the theological fact that we are victors in Christ, not victims of our own sin or the sin of others. But it's another thing to live it out, to think like a victor and act like a victor, even in the face of abuse and difficulty. So here are a few practical distinctions of a victor mentality. First, victors rest in God's sovereign plan. When you have a victor mentality, God's sovereignty is not just objective biblical truth. It is truth that you believe every day. Rather than acting like everything is random and has no purpose, the victor truly trusts that God knows what he is doing. If God is sovereign, he's in control of all things. That relieves the victor from working so hard to try to protect himself. This does not make the victor passive, but active in trusting God, relying on him alone. 
And then second, victors pray instead of worry. Ellie is depressed because she is constantly worried. The victim mentality only leads to unending anxiety about everything. When you think as a victor, then you will become a prayer warrior. Prayer is the only course of action for someone who knows that God is sovereign. If God is in control of our circumstances, then he's the only one who can act in our behalf. He's the only one powerful enough to deliver and protect us. So again, victors are not passive. They trust. They pray. They seek God's face. As God's word tells us, prayer is the antidote to worry. Instead of being anxious, we must ask God to work in our situation and our difficult relationships. Then third, victors hope for the best instead of dwelling on the worst. No, this is not the power of positive thinking or living in some fantasy land that everything will turn out just fine. True hope is connected to faith in God, to confidence in Him. We hope for the best because we believe God always has a perfect plan for us. Victims, on the other hand, always dwell on the worst-case scenario. They are helpless, thinking nothing ever works out for them in the end. This is why someone with a victim mentality struggles with true biblical love, because this sort of love believes all things, hopes all things, and never fails. But victors can take the risk of love, having genuine hope for the best. Christians are the people of hope because we serve the God of hope. And then fourth, victors seek comfort in the Lord rather than in themselves. Hopefully you've not heard in any of these words some sort of stoicism or toughness for those who struggle with a victim mentality. People who are victimized need to be comforted and cared for. They need the comfort of the Lord and of other Christians. Unfortunately, Satan uses the victim mentality to tempt a person to only trust in himself, to only do self-comfort, if you will. But when we truly find our victory in Christ, we know that God will comfort us when things get challenging, when relationships get rough. God does not expect his people just to tough it out or to be stoic about the pain. He loves us so much that he comforts us in our pain. And then fifth, victors know that sinful people will do sinful things. While people who have a victim mentality think they are realistic about people and their own situation, they're actually quite unrealistic. They often see things as worse than they really are. Then, in a strange twist, they can often forget that people really are sinful, so they can be surprised and shocked by what other people can do to them. A victor mentality is much more realistic recognizing that we're all sinners and by our very natures, we will do sinful things. So the Christian victor is never surprised when hurt by others. Sure, it still hurts or offends or causes pain, but it never really surprises. Many Christians are most shocked when other professed Christians hurt them. I get that. But even Christians can do sinful things. Having this realistic view of people in life may sound negative or depressing, but it's actually a Christian worldview and is needed to fight against a victim mentality. And then sixth, victors return good for evil. 
Remember that a victim mentality does not believe good can overcome evil, but a victor knows the truth and so can be a warrior of good. The weapons of our warfare are love and truth, peace and mercy. When it may seem like those weapons are not powerful, they are infused by the power of the Holy Spirit. Victors actively deal with sinful people, bad people in ways that glorify God. To return evil with good takes the strength of God. It's not easy at all. But then we have the victory in Christ. So why would we be afraid to do good in the face of all evil? We win. Now, in conclusion, we should understand that Satan's temptation towards the victim mentality can be very hard to resist. He knows just how to use pain and suffering to confuse the Christian into despair and self-pity. But we have the mind of Christ in order to discern and understand Satan's schemes. And we have the wisdom to help folks like Ellie and Fredo. Going through this life with a victim mentality is miserable and unnecessary when we have been given the victory in Jesus Christ. It only limits the believer from doing the kingdom work that God has called us to do. So grow in grace as a victorious Christian today. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.